Hey, welcome to episode 146 of Heroes of Noise. Joining us today is Martin from Blitz Berlin. We're very excited about this. This is uh, These are the guys that did the soundtrack to well, multiple things, actually. But the one that I'm super excited about right now is, of course, Psycho Gorman. They did the soundtrack for Psycho Gorman. It's an amazing soundtrack. And uh, even more amazing guy to talk to. Really, really fun. Got along very well. You know, you always get a little nervous when you're going to talk to somebody. Is it going to go well or whatever? And, and uh, Martin was just fantastic. Just a great guy. And also joining us was Brian from Pop Culture Leftovers. So it was just fun. It's, it's an hour of fun, ladies and gentlemen. That's what we have in store for you today. Also, the show did continue after Martin hung up, but what we did was we decided to go ahead and put that out on Patreon. So if you're interested in listening to that, it's about another hour, I think, roughly, something like that. Go check it out. Join us on Patreon, won't you? I wish Martin could have stayed on just a little bit longer. I could totally talk to that guy all day, but we are very grateful for his company and for him making the time to join us. I'm excited for you guys to listen to this one. I really think you're going to enjoy it. So I'm going to go ahead and stop talking right now and let you guys get to the show. You guys have a fantastic weekend, and we will talk to you soon. Peace. Hey, welcome to Heroes of Noise. This is episode 146, and this is Dan. With me, as always, is Steve, and we also have Brian from Pop Culture Leftovers with us. But that is not all. Today's a very special episode. Uh, these are the episodes where we really, like, you know, you know us by now, right? So you know that we like to talk about movies and TV and shit like that, but we also really, really, really love talking about music. So today's going to be very special. Uh, another reason it's going to be special is because you guys have obviously heard us been gushing and gushing and gushing about Psycho Gorman. Well, the reason that this is special is because we have one of the members of Blitz Berlin who did the soundtrack to Psycho Gorman with us, and that's Martin. Martin, how you doing, man? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, I want to keep this kind of loose, Martin. I know you don't have a lot of time with us, so I'm mm. not going to bog you down with a lot of the, you know, what was the history of Blitz Berlin? But I do, I would like to know, you know, how did you guys get started? And then we can kind of go from there if you don't mind. Sure, yeah, no problem. I mean, the, the Coles Notes version is... Uh, myself and Dean and Tristan, the three of us, um, which make up Blitz Berlin, we've been making music together since high school, basically. In fact, Dean and Tristan actually met when they were in grade two on a t-ball field. Um, I don't know if that was like a, a meeting that was full of competition and anger or friendship right away, but <laughs> they've known each other forever. Uh, I met those guys in high school. We toured Canada and North America in uh, a punk rock band uh, called The Set way back in the day, um, kind of like you know, emo, hardcore kind of stuff. Nice. And, you know, played every bar you've never heard of uh, and had a blast doing it. And basically, over time, you know, made different music, taught ourselves how to record stuff. And uh, when we moved to Toronto back in 2011, we started kind of experimenting with making instrumental music and making, like, less, you know, straight-ahead punk stuff. And right around that time a uh, director named Colin Minahan who had done a few of our music videos. He got his first little bit of money to make a science fiction movie and didn't like whoever he'd been paired with by his producers. So I got like a panicked call from Colin at like <laughs> one in the morning being like, you guys score my fucking movie. 
Sorry, am I allowed to swear on this? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay, good. Oh, what sweet. the fuck, Dan? What kind of guest? I know. I didn't, even, I didn't oh, even fucking man. tell him. I should have fucking told him. I'm sorry. Oh, what this fucking fuck? this fucking show. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, Colin calls me in the middle of the night. He's like, "I need you to score my fucking movie," and I was like, "No problem, man." And then hung up. And like, literally, the three of us like Google searched for the rest of the night, like how to score a movie. Oh shit! It's like day just, one we, stuff right here. Oh my god, we'd never done anything like it. We recorded our own music, and we have a musical background, so <clears throat> maybe not totally starting from scratch, but even things like how do you like load a movie file into logic and how do you like sync time codes like they were the most you know i'm sure what you'd learn day one if we actually ever went to school for this but we didn't so you know school of hard knocks um but we we scored that movie we figured it out somehow and then uh throughout that process we made an instrumental record at the time too which got in the hands of a music supervisor in los angeles named marcy and she uh deals predominantly with movie trailers and had this whole strange idea. She heard something in our instrumental album that tipped her off that we'd be capable of doing something like this, but she wanted to reimagine a Kanye West song for the movie, the girl on the train. You guys remember that movie with oh, uh, yeah. Emily Blunt and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, she basically had this idea where it was like, it's gotta be like orchestral, but it's gotta be Kanye, but it's gotta be opera, but it's gotta be this and this and this. And she's very creative in that way and putting pieces together. And for some reason we were lucky enough that she was excited about our sound and put us in the mix. And that was kind of our first like major trailer thing. Um, so within a few years there, we kind of got our first movie and our first trailer. And that kind of started our careers as they currently are as Blitz Berlin, which is like making music for film and TV. The uh, song that you're talking about was surfboard fire, right? Yeah, that's right. That was like our, uh, the name of kind of our track in there. And then the actual, uh, the actual Kanye one, it's one of those unfortunate like uh, corners of the, the business where it'll never really see the light of day outside of the trailer because of, you know, licensing issues yeah. and all that. But oh, I bet. you can yeah. hear our version minus Kanye and it's called Surf for Fire. Yeah. Wow. That is a now I'm wondering when you first got that call, how nervous were you? Like, this is your shot. When yeah. she calls you, she's like, I need you to do this thing. Were you all nervous? Like, oh, my God, we have got to we have to hit this out of the park. It's oh, an, it was an at bat. Absolutely. And and one, one thing about being in a band for long enough and being in the music industry for long enough is like I've never understood people who um who are in this business for a long term and, and come out with like a big ego about it because in my experience it does the opposite, which is teach you how much you suck at everything, probably, you know. So um by this point, you know, when we're getting this opportunity and that sort of call we're just convinced that we're absolutely not, not going to land it. Like nothing that good would happen to us for sure. So let's try and try our best. But like, if we lose it, we're not going to, we're not going to cry about it. So I, maybe that's a little bit freeing <laughs> as opposed yeah. to, you know, being like, we have to land this or like, I'll jump off a bridge instead. It's like, no, I'm going to try, but this is so out of our league that it's, it's a, you know, we're shooting for the stars there. Oh, okay. um, but the, the call itself was quite funny because we had started working on, piece of music minus the whole Kanye thing we had just started working on a piece for girl on the train with Marcy originally because the Kanye idea wasn't quite in the mix yet and then we had this one like fateful ridiculous phone call where it's like we love what you guys are doing we just like need to get Kanye on the track <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think like literally on the phone I was like um like do you have his number <laughs> like I, I don't know how this works like I don't know him like sorry um, they're like, no, no, no. You we, guys we've, tweeted we've, him. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Hey, Yeezy, could you please, you know, 
And he was like, no problem. No, he ne- we never spoke to him. He, you know, that's there's 10 different managers in between us and him. But somehow it all worked out. But it was quite quite a funny moment. That is now for the for the the ner- the music nerds out there. Um, when you first started doing this trailer, was it exclusively in Logic, or did you have a few other libraries that you were going to use, or just like we got to use what we have right now? Or did you just purchase a million libraries for this <laughs> thing? Or, um, well, we'd yeah, I mean, we worked exclusively in Logic, but it wasn't exclusive exclusively Logic samples and synths and stuff like we. Because we had done the film just before this, we had sort of loaded up on on sample libraries and on mm. some soft synths. You know, we'd purchased LA scoring strings and stuff, which had helped nice. us a lot with that with that movie. Um, so we had, I mean, God, looking back at it now, given the amount of stuff we'd have, we've had to accumulate over time. Um, we did it with very little comparatively, but we definitely <laughs> had more than just the in the box logic stuff for sure. That's really smart. I mean, because those those strings. That that's uh, film strings. They're they're deceptive. They sound good if if someone knows how to mix them. You're like, oh wow, that's. But you really have to know how to layer stuff because a lot of people just play chords, and you're mm. like, oh, I could tell that that's not that's not a really a totally. And this is <laughs> something know, that uh, you know, with the way the three of us work together, we've sort of naturally specialized in in things that we're stronger in. And one of the things that Diener has gotten quite good at over time is that specifically is the fine grain stuff with strings and horns and whatever. And so much of it has to do with being really meticulous about like velocities and expression and modulation on each player. And that's something that gives uh, a body of synth strings, the kinds of like imperfections and movements that makes it sound more like it was actually in a room. Oh, that's interesting. So that and some really good reverbs (laughs) helps a lot. That is awesome. Yeah. So you guys have been together since high school, so I imagine that the chemistry and the the uh, I guess the intuition has got to be just spot on at this point, right? You guys can just read each other's minds. Yeah, I think that is probably our our biggest strength. Like we say all the time, you know, there's three of us, and you know, most of our quote unquote competition in this business are like single composers. So we figure that the three of us combined make approximately one good composer. (laughs) Uh, And we basically, uh, I think that there's something about our dynamic as friends as well. Cause you know, we not just coworkers in this business or anything like we're all, uh, we all get along quite well and hang out all the time. You guys have been through it. Games together. We've been through it, man. We lived, you know, more or less out of a van for a long time, you know? And, um, so as a result, not just with music, but with virtually any problem we tackle, we kind of have this natural way of uh, splitting up the work a little bit. Like sure. even getting into the States the first time as Canadians, we had to go through the process of getting our visas. And it just sort of, even something like that, which is not a musical problem, is like, okay, well, like you deal with this Photoshopping, you deal with this like press thing, you call the lawyer and like that sort of thing. So we we tend to work good as a, work well as a team um, tackling all sorts of problems, which I think is, is a strength for us for sure. I mean, that's real. Now that's really smart how you guys, because I know um, for people that do do music, a lot of them don't understand the music light. Like do one of you guys understand the music licensing side? Like when she called and said, Hey, we want you to do trailers. Were you already, um, you're like, I already know music licensing and ASCAP or BMI and all that stuff. Or did you have one of you had to figure it out and say, we know it backwards and forwards now. Yeah. I mean, both like we we had a bit of a background in that from playing in a band for so long and being in and out of various record deals and i worked with the record label for a little while like on the label side so 
we had a bit of a vocabulary in that world, but still, honestly, to this day, we'll get requests for things and we'll have to like use the like call a friend option and be like, <laughs> what the fuck does this mean? You know, what are they asking me? Am I going to get sued? Is this, you know, and the, the business is, I think so in depth. It's why there's, there's people who are, you know, very well paid and very experienced whose job. It is just to know the ins and outs of these things. So we definitely have a, a network we rely on for, uh, for questions of that sort. It's really smart. So, I have to go here just because you struck a, you struck a chord with me and now I have to kind of go into that. You had mentioned mm. a punk background. So I have to ask, mm. what are some of your influences? But before I ask that question, you guys are mm-hmm. from Victoria, correct? Correct. So were right. you into any of the bands that were, you know, that were a little bit bigger that came out of there, like No Means No or Hot Hot Heat? I mean, shit, Nelly Furtado, you know, uh, Dayglo Abortions. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, because of where we grew up, like I, I couldn't say that, you know, as a, as a, punk kid i was like a huge nelly Furtado fan you didn't like like a bird man (laughs) yeah i mean like a bird rips like that song (laughs) that song slaps don't get me wrong but um but but actually you know victoria is a small enough town you mentioned those names i'm like well actually i worked with at the long mcquade which is a music store in victoria i worked with one of the guys from day glows for a minute oh nice um i Nelly Furtado graduated from my high school (laughs) and uh, one of my first shows ever prior to uh, prior to the set um, I played with another band in like junior high we were in the grade nine and one of our first shows ever was actually opening for the hot out heat so you know there's fucking cool it's it's a small enough town like you can't every person from Victoria has those three stories you know and those aren't wholly unique (laughs) unto me but um but actually, it's funny that it just brought back a memory that we played in this community center called Burnside. And it was like a, a gym, you know, attached to a school, basically. That's where we opened for Hot Out Heat. And I remember it was before they would put out their first like really like hit record, you know, bandages, bandages right? And all that stuff on there. Yeah. Um, which is like, honestly, songwriting school, as far as I'm concerned, like it's such a well-written album. So I catchy. love that album so much really good and and i actually heard a track off it the other day and i was like this honestly holds up like it's just they're good songs very talented guys but when we played with them i specifically remember we were trying to be really heavy and whatever they were at that moment before they'd figured out their sound i guess they were so much heavier than us it was like watching at the drive-in or something it was just screamy and thrashy and we were just like holy crap what are we watching um, and then they, you know, put out that record and became famous and all that stuff. And it, it was quite a different sound. So I guess they were experimenting at the time when we played with them. Okay. Now you say another thing I got to ask you about at the drive-in. So I assume you're a fan mm-hmm. about the drive-in Mars Volta. Good God. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, man. You're talking my language right now. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hijack. I'm sorry. Start talking no, about no, music no, and dude, bands. I and love stuff. you. No, this is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I just I have had the pleasure of seeing the Mars Volta. I've never seen that the driving, but I've had the pleasure of seeing Mars Volta a number of times. Oh, and amazing. out of all the freaking bands that I've seen, and I've seen a lot of bands, Martin, those guys, bar none, may put on like one of the finest live shows I've ever seen. I mean, they're oh, just so God. immensely talented. I am so jealous. I've never I've never seen Volta live. I saw at the drive in on their like reunion tour they did a little while ago, yeah, which yeah, was good, back. but and, and totally good musically awesome and whatever but you know i w- it's not quite the same as having seen them like right before they broke up and one arm scissor was a hit or something like that would be the time and i i wish i would there's like certain concerts you wish you could go back in time and just be at and for sure, sure at the drive-in before they melted down and early volta like right when delast came out i would ugh, kill to be in that room 
Oh, I mean, so you're speaking my language again. I mean, I honestly think that that is some of the uh, finest musicianship that I've heard on an album. The drums on that album are insane. Just oh fucking insane. Oh, what the hell is that guy's name? Uh, 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 John Philip Theodore, I believe. John Theodore, right? Yeah, oh he plays God. for uh, Queens of the Stone Age now. I think he, he's sleep. one of the best living drummers in my, in my book. And he, uh, I think he even like, he's done so much session work for so many different amazing bands. But I actually saw an interview a little while ago with Omar because they, they booted him at one point, like after I think Francis the Mute, they kicked him out of the band because of some scheduling issue or something. But Omar from the Mars Volta recently said that like his greatest regret was kicking John Theodore out of the band. I'm like, yeah, dude, yeah, I bet. why would you ever let that guy go? But, just insane. I mean, I, I remember the first time I heard DeLoust and uh, just the opening just went. Dun, 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 dun. I'm like, oh, shit. what are we getting ourselves into here? And it just continues just to just to kill the entire time. I got to see that tour. Uh, it was their their first tour for that album in this little tiny venue, and just just blew my mind. The place was like that packed. It came so out cool. soaked. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm hijacking the uh, the, no, the conversation. Not, this is Dude, what people want to hear. This is dope. Amazing. Who else are you into, man? Oh, I mean, all sorts. Of, I we listen to everything nowadays. In terms of growing up, especially like uh, the sort of punk influences. I mean. The moments that I can remember having my mind blown the most would have been uh, the first time I heard Tool, the first Mark, time I, I heard Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> are, we, are we the same music fan? Right <laughs> I think so, man. Did we just um, become best friends? Yep. Did we just? Oh, let's go do karate in the garage. You mean? Um, but yeah, the uh, so Tool, Nine Inch Nails, uh, then At the Drive-In was like a step crazier than those to me. You know, the vocals were just so out there and whatever. And then I have this specific memory of hearing Glassjaw's first record and being like, at the time, turning it off and being like, this is too crazy for me in my grade eight brain or whatever. Yeah. I, like, I can't deal with how insane these vocals are. And then later on, you know, Daryl becoming a, a very significant influence on me in terms of performance and melody and whatever. Like, I think that band is, is so special. Yeah, they're another amazing live band, but they are an acquired taste. You're right; it's not something oh that that a lot of people can just instantly, you know, gravitate to. It took me a while too. I literally don't think I've ever showed them like to a girl and had them be like, "Cool," <laughs> <laughs> like never. They're always like, "Oh, hmm, yeah, that's See, that, cool." That's like, when you put your shit on. You don't tell them that it's yours. Yeah. <laughs> you put your shit on and you just charm them. You know what I mean? Get them all. Yeah, totally. Isn't this less <laughs> screamy than that thing where you just kept screaming the word "bitch" again and again and again in that song? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's. But you know, I I, I feel like I've always been. I've always been drawn to music that definitely pushes the envelope in that way. And, and, and growing up, I mean, God, you should have, you should have heard my junior high school band. And by saying that, that's an ex- figure of speech. You should definitely not hear my junior high school <laughs> band, but out of the pure interest that all we really listened to at that time that we thought were the best bands to be were like the Dillinger escape plan and Candiria. And we oh. were really trying to be like, so mathy and like if a part was in four four we had failed like it had to be like 15 eight and only <laughs> one bar of that and then immediately you know uh but i i think that being drawn to those kind of i don't know bands that had something that was a little uncomfortable or a little extreme or whatever honestly is probably what set us up later on for making the choices we did musically and and why our sort of instincts lend themselves to stuff that's a little less to do with uh formula yeah which is yeah. which is how i think of a lot of cinematic music not that there isn't formulas to it but it's certainly not the three minute pop song at all you know it's especially with genre film there's an element of it that like 
you really just have to be accomplishing the emotion. So if you're freaking people out in this part where they're supposed to be freaked out, then you've done your job. And however you get there is sort of up to you. So in my mind, those bands laid the, the, the groundwork for that kind of thinking. Jesus Christ, man. Can dare you? And tell you what, I'm going to have to have you come back for a whole different show. We can just like gush on bands all day. Is that something oh, we can do? Anytime, man. Anytime. <laughs> I, t- I try to talk to people about this stuff and I get glazed over looks. So like 100%. I mean, you're talking anytime. about fucking Candiria, dude. Carly Como, come on. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, try talking to like your average like coffee shop person about Candiria, man. It doesn't work. Like, <laughs> like what the fuck are you talking about? You're insane. Yeah. So. But what an here's, amazing- your, here's your ice mocha latte. Could you go sit yeah, over yeah, there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this latte reminds me of this song by this band Candiria, and it's like, sir, please leave. You know, <laughs> that's the best. <laughs> so, like, what else are you into, man? I mean, like, you know, obviously you're in. You have to be in film if you're doing film scores. Was that something that you guys, uh, you know, being in the studios and touring did you guys spend a lot of time watching movies and kind of getting into that whole thing where it's like you know well i guess what i'm wondering is when outside of this opportunity that you guys had mm-hmm. where it was your you know you kind of had to figure everything out on your own when did it kind of hit where it's like you know what guys maybe we should just be doing this i mean i know you guys have a you know your um, other album out and everything mm-hmm. but i'm curious about like when did it when did it hit like you know we should probably just be doing scores man this is this seems like it's gonna be our bread and butter yeah i mean that a bit of that was definitely sort of like falling ass backwards into those opportunities in, in some ways and, and, you know, taking a minute to realize that our, our careers had changed, whether or not we'd intended them to or not. <laughs> and, um, but definitely growing up and, and, and the kinds of movies that I would watch, you know, I, uh, such a John Carpenter fan growing up and, and not even like the cool kind of John Carpenter fan. It's like, man, like the old, like I was like really into big trouble in little China and escape from LA. That's and a like, great, but yes, thank you. Thank you. And Fantastic. I think so too, you know, I'm, I'm, Oh my God. Big trouble is like one of my favorites. And then, um, do you, what's the, the, the Roddy Roddy Piper movie? Oh, uh, they live, Them. right? They, they live, they live, uh, they live. Dude, that fight scene in the middle of that movie. Dude, him and Keith David go to town on each other for like 20 minutes. For like 20 minutes and then just kind of become friends by the end of it. And like nothing is really like, I, you know what I honestly figure? I don't know if this has any backup historically or not, but I bet you when Roddy Roddy, Rowdy Roddy Piper was agreeing to do that movie, he had in his contract a certain amount of fighting that had to happen or something. Because I'm like, oh, why yeah. else would you make that call? We've got to have three suplexes in this scene. <laughs> absolutely i have to do my signature moves here's the list of them you know um but but yeah you know i grew up loving john carpenter i actually have a there's a formative moment in my mind and it's when i had freaking strep throat in like grade nine and was super sick and home and my dad went and rented a bunch of uh i guess it would have been vhs's maybe dvds i don't know movies from this local shop called crazy mike's that had all like you know, everything more underground stuff, whatever. But he brought home Escape from LA and Blade Runner, which I'd never seen at that point. And Total Recall, I think, was the other oh, one. Like the, on, you know, man. the Verhoeven. Yes. Yeah, my dad has excellent taste in movies. That's fantastic. And though, you know, watching those multiple times while sick on a couch on, you know, Tylenol 3 was just like mind expanding. Um, uh, how so, did you feel the first time you saw Quato come out of dude's stomach? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> so my, my brother and I, like we, you know, had our parents' video camera, whatever, around the house. And so we would try to like make our own movies naturally. And most of them would be trying to recreate scenes from this stuff. So I, I don't know if we ever tried Total Recall. We definitely tried Escape from L.A., but yeah, I mean the like Quaid, 
get to the reactor you know like <laughs> iconic you don't iconic want your parents stuff. to get a hold of the vhs where you recorded the three nippled lady you know? yeah 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 <laughs> like, yeah that was son, a, we're gonna we're gonna have to have a talk here controversial tape yeah that, that has to remain <laughs> remain secret that one but uh but yeah you know growing up on those on those films and having those around um i always loved them but i never really made the connection between my passion for music and then that being like a job that I could ever have. And it really took until, you know, it started happening. Even then we sort of felt like uh, pretenders or something, because in my mind it was like, well, if you're a film composer, you're a guy who was like raised on classical piano. You like went to school for it and you like write out your sheet music by hand, like John Williams, and you know how to conduct an orchestra and like, that's the job. And I'm just not that guy. So when it started, the opportunity started to come to us and I started to put two and two together and realize, oh, actually, that's not how every film score is created. There's like room for other voices and I have ideas that are, I think, are interesting in this world. Um, it felt like unlocking something or like connecting dots that had been there that had not ever just been connected. Um, so I think there's a lot of vocabulary I have from being such a fan of those movies for so long, but it wasn't until much later in life that I really considered like, that's such a resource. That is awesome. And I'm wondering which movie did you get that when you guys looked at each other and said, Oh, I think this is a thing. <laughs> I think we're actually going to be doing Cause it takes at first you're like, Oh, I'm an imposter. Yes. But which movie, when you got the email, did you look at each other and say, Oh wait, we might be, this might be what we do now. Yeah. I think, man, I wish I could say like, oh, it was like, you know, quickly. It wasn't. It was like we were in denial for a long time. We, <laughs> we you know, we've done the first one, this movie called Extraterrestrial that I mentioned before. And then we did the Girl on the Train trailer. But they both sort of felt like these flukes that happened in a vacuum that were cool. But we didn't have any network or like an agent in that world or any way of connecting with anybody else or making it anymore. I think it was probably when we got the call from some higher up at Universal Studios at the time that they wanted the guys who did the girl on the train to do this new campaign for uh, the 50 shades movies. One of those. Come on. And oh yeah. Then Come it was on. like, Oh shit. You know? <laughs> uh, and, and you know, then they're sending us like Taylor Swift vocals and being like, you got to, you know, there, there's actually a funny quirk about that trailer is that there's this Taylor Swift and Zane song that was used in it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, for whatever reason, the way the song was recorded, Zane didn't sing any harmonies, but especially in the trailer, like the back and forth of the vocal, it needed a male harmony. So it's actually me doing a Zane impression. Oh my God. <laughs> Which, uh, oh my funny, God. You know? Great um, news. Just harmonizing with T Swift, doing my best, but uh, with a lot of auto tune, I might add. But um, basically, <laughs> yeah, at that point, we were kind of like, okay, I think we can maybe make a job of this. Somebody just called us because of something we did. And that's when we started the process of applying for our U.S. visas. And then it all kind of felt very real. We're like, we're going to make a leap. We're going to move to a country where we're not legally allowed to have day jobs or fall back on anything. So uh, that's sort of when things started to move move a little quicker. But but before that, there was maybe, I don't know, it felt like a year or two of, of sort of space where we weren't really sure what it meant to have done the things that we did. Just kind of flailing, not sure which direction you're going to go next, huh? Yeah. And, you know, still making music all day, every day, because it's just what we love to do, but without any specific end to it or, or plan of how we would like take advantage of, of, uh, of the stuff we've done. Wait, now, when you saw the universal contact, did it, were you at first like, no, 
<laughs> Come on. I mean, is this real? Totally. Absolutely. I was, I mean, I, I remember calling, uh, calling the guys after that phone call. Cause I think, I think I was at work at the label I worked at at the time. We were all still working our day jobs and stuff. And I remember calling them and being like, so like <laughs> this, like very important sounding woman from the States just called me and says like, we got to get you guys on the 50 shades track. And we were just like, Oh, Oh, you know, lots of yelling <laughs> on the phone. I'm like, holy oh, crap. that's beautiful, dude. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was ex- exciting stuff. Um, and right around that time, I, I think I'm hoping I'm not getting dates confused. I have like a garbage memory for dates, but right around that time, at least I'm going to give it approximately a year <laughs> around then. But, um, our instrumental record that we had spent so much time making that I mentioned around then got a nod, um, from the Junos, which is like a Canadian oh, award yeah. thing. Uh-huh. Um, which was kind of a big deal for us too. That's like the sort of thing that, I don't know, my, my parents would look at and be like, you've now, you know, what you've done matters to me now. <laughs> exactly. I, yeah. That's the thing where they're like, I guess you can do this music thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was, that was a bit of a, a pat on the back there. So there was a few things at that moment that were like, it's still, you know, it feels like a leap. It feels like a risk, but this, this seems to have its own momentum and we would be dumb to not see if we can turn this into a, career oh of course and i'm one do do you still get was that the dragon you're chasing or do you still get pumped every time you get a call or is it now it's like okay (laughs) i don't get that excited anymore uh no man we i mean depending on the project um sure you know we'll we'll sometimes get calls for something that's like a, a pitch and there's no money up front and it's for like an advertisement in another country or something and these sort of things, if we don't have time for, you know, there's there's maybe not the same level of excitement. Not to sound like a, like no, no, a no, jaded no. person by any means, but but man, when we got the call to work on like Top Gun, like, are you kidding me? We yeah, were like crazy. Do I you mean, understand how crazy that is? Oh, and we like when we got the call for it was from a music supervisor named uh, Angel, who is just the coolest guy you'll ever meet, and he he's Los Angeles based. Um, he's actually an old DIY punk dude who. Every band you might mention, he was at that band's first show. And like, he's just so such a cool guy. And he called us being like, so there's like going to be a new Top Gun movie. And like before he was finished his sentence, we're like together singing Danger Zone to him on the phone. You know, (laughs) he's like, no, they specifically said no Danger Zone. I'm like, what? Son of a bitch. You're kidding me. <laughs> oh my God. This is a Kenny Loggins free zone. Please at least tell me, at least tell me that playing with the boys is going to be in there. And you know, that will also was enough. So we, uh, but yeah, I mean that, that, you know, that's a movie we grew up on and, and loved to death as kids. And the chance to work on that was, was so cool. And to be able to reimagine the, the Top Gun theme for, for those trailers. So absolutely. We get those calls and still to this day for all sorts of different, you know, franchises and things that we're big fans of that are just, that are so exciting. Oh, that trailer fucking rocks. Rocks, dude. <laughs> dude guys. Like, Thank it you. starts bong. I'm just like, oh my God. We're yeah. going back. <laughs> we're going to Top Gun. I can't bell. believe it. The you guys of, fucking killed it. Dude, the amount of searching that we, because you're not allowed to sample the original score, right? So, like, the amount of searching we did through, like, every sample pack we have to find a bell that we could, like, pitch to sound like that bell. Like, because <sighs> we're like, it has to be, you know. <laughs> 
it has to be that we have to layer the lead guitar with like this certain kind of synth so it just sounds so like oh my god you guys killed it every time i go to when well when theaters were like in full operation every time i saw that trailer in the theater i was just i got chills (laughs) oh Oh, dude amazing i love it literally chill it was just i mean when i saw that trailer I I grabbed my girl's leg. She was like, "What is your deal? <laughs> you gave us the feelings, man." Oh man, that's that that's amazing. I love that because I mean that's that's how I feel about that movie. So maybe oh, yeah. that's why it comes across. Is because I certainly far from phoned in. That was an incredible amount of work and back and forth over many many months. And, I think and, Miles Teller yeah. is going to be playing Goose's son. He is. He oh is. my god! <laughs> That's right. That's right. So Miles Teller is Goose's son. They're bringing back Maverick to like teach the young kids some stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean they don't give us any more info. Iceman's coming back too. Yeah, I heard that. Although yeah. I, I don't think he's been shown yet. I don't think there's been any footage yet. I don't think so either. And that, that's sad because he, he's in a, he's got some bad health issues going on. But it's awesome that he's going to be in the movie. So he does. I wonder what direction they'll go with that. Like, is he going to be kind of like, like? really like jaded and like has betrayed the army or something like he plays such a good villain nowadays and stuff like maybe i wonder gonna, if it's you know, going to be like a thing where like tom cruise is like he's lost himself again you know because oh, that seems to happen yeah, totally. and he's got to talk to like the ice man and the ice man's the the you know the least likely to give him like the pep talk okay you know? here's what happens so nobody's seen Iceman in 30 years and then on like a you know a skirmish tom cruise's jet gets shot down and he parachutes and he lands somewhere in the himalayas and he's about to freeze to death when a hand reaches out, and it's Iceman. He's been living. living he's, he's living with the Himalayan monks. Yes, and he's <laughs> he's found true peace after this time. And he, Batman Begins style, nurses Tom oh, Cruise God. back to health and teaches him new skills to defeat the, you know, That's the, the bell, movie dude. that I want to see right Man. there. Dude, I just yes. heard the bell when you said that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, that's that's the movie I want to see. And I imagine you're going to be on the red carpet, sir. I imagine. I don't think so. I they um they don't you know trailer guys are very far down that totem pole, unfortunately. Um, I mean, you know, I I guess I could probably call somebody and maybe get to like go to a screening somewhere. But the other thing is with COVID, it's like what screening? Where am I going? You know? Nope, you're totally right. You are. Yeah. Here's what you guys. Here's why you guys are magicians to me absolute and total magicians it's because we're seeing top gun the trailer amazing you guys are i'm like wow magic but then when i think of oh they got a blank trailer they just got a trailer with nothing (laughs) that's great like if i was watching i'd be like oh snap top gun trailer and when i played it i'd be like oh i gotta do something what am i gonna (laughs) like it's blank man i tell you it's it's Honestly, it's it's one step worse than that, which oh, is that no. we never, almost never get to see footage. Um, so a lot of times what you're composing to is a description, which is many times given to you over the phone because nobody wants to put it in email oh, as a paper trail because like the, you know, the, the NDAs are a mile thick on a project like this, right? Nobody wants any kind of leak going on whatsoever. So um sending us footage to work on would constitute like a, a, a risk for them. So one of the reasons we moved to Los Angeles when we did was so we can go into trailer houses, we can leave our phones at the door, we can, you know, actually watch some footage because it, it's helpful. But for Top Gun, we didn't have that opportunity. For Top Gun, we literally had the conversation and it was like, 
okay, they want like the bell at the beginning and the first 30 seconds are kind of like moody desert voiceover. Oh, and then like Jesus. the middle is like drama. And then we're going to give them the theme towards the end. So we just made based on that kind of like a three minute piece of music and then, you know, tons of revisions and everything later. But what they end up doing is ingesting that and then chopping it up and kind of putting it into the edit, however they need. But um, yeah, I mean, when we work on films, we get to watch the film and score to it, which makes it a lot easier to be honest, because at least there's a visual cue. But with trailers, a lot of times you're flying totally blind and like guessing at the level of, you know, rhythm and drama they need. Is it I because like Hollywood's the... I'm sorry. Is it because no, 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 Hollywood... go ahead. Is it because Hollywood's so secretive with the, with, they don't want you to leak any of the. Yeah, that's all it is, man. It's all these non-disclosure agreements. They just, um, anytime we've ever, you know, something's been close enough to finishing and we're not in the city. They'll send us, you know, like a 30 pixel by 40 pixel heavily watermarked bounce <laughs> of a thing, you know? So wow. like, even if you were to leak this, no one would know what it was, but Hey, this is enough for you to, uh, to be able to, to, you know, nail the timing in this one part that our editor's having trouble with. Or whatever. We don't want Blitz Berlin to like, let everybody know that there's a Himalayan monk volleyball scene in this. Movie. Totally understandable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this whole conversation is completely private, right? You're not releasing. Yeah, I'll I'll <laughs> yeah. Just for us. Okay. Good. 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 good Dude, yeah. you, you did music based on a description. Yeah, man, this is, I mean, that's not unique that's to Top amazing. Gun. That's virtually all of our, all of our trailer work. We pretty much, I mean, not to mention the fact that a lot of times when we get that call, they haven't even shot the movie yet. Or if they have, they haven't even been sending dailies to the trailer house that's going to cut the trailer yet. So a lot of times those guys haven't seen the trailer. They're Has this changed on. with COVID? Uh, no. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, incredible. It, it's, yeah. The other thing, too, is that the way that the whole trailer world, which we've, you know, got a crash course in over the last few years, um, the way the whole trailer world works is, is it's almost like a, a secondary movie industry that exists, right? Where there's a ton of different trailer houses, which are basically mini movie studios that only cut advertisements and they all compete for jobs. So on something the size of Top Gun, you might have eight different trailer houses with different editors, different music supervisors, different ideas, all competing simultaneously for that job. And so in that case, you know, if we're a composer working with one of them, there might be other composers working with that trailer house too. And then that times eight. So that gives you an idea of the kind of Jeez, competition that's happening, but also the kind of risk those companies would see in just sending footage out to all that's those true. people. Right? I think you just pitched a reality show, man. Oh, Dude, honestly, trailers, like people making trailer yeah. music. Come on. Yeah. Man. I think you just are, pitched a reality show. They I'd are watch high the shit drama. Out of them. They I are high too. drama. And, and the, uh, the people who run the show at the end of the day too make these decisions very much based on like a gut feeling. So this can either land you a job or totally ruin a job depending on, you know, we hear these stories about like, Oh, this piece was in. And then like the exec was picking up his, his kid from school and she's in the back of the car and is like, I like this one. And he just totally changes his mind at that moment, you know? Wow. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a very fickle and fast moving, crazy industry in that way, um, which is maybe one of the reasons why, at least nowadays, we try not to we try not to overthink about any one of them because if we if we do, inevitably, it's going to be pretty disappointing because like the the chances are so stacked, you know. 
All right, one more music nerdy question. Logic records flat normally. It's fairly flat. It doesn't sound like the radio. Mm. How important in getting a job is the mixing and the mastering of, for the people that are like, I want to get into that. How important is it to make sure your mix is right, you've listened to it on the right speakers, Mm. and your master is right before you send it to someone? Can Mm. that lose you a job? Absolutely. 100% One hundred percent, yes. Uh, because a lot. I mean, it depends on it depends on who you're sending it to, right? Like, if you're if you're like a, a songwriter and a composer, and let's say that you're just like brainstorming with a director, or you're going to send these to a music producer or something. Like, there's a level of demoing that's kind of understood in those circles that are all kind of involved with music. But in the world of trailers or movies, by the time your track gets passed up a few levels there's a very good chance that whoever's listening to it doesn't know anything about music or mixing and mastering, but they might hear something that even might be perfectly mixed, but it's just mastered too quiet. And it just, therefore to them is just like, Oh, this just doesn't sound as good next to this other one, which is mastered louder. So God. all of those sort of things uh, in my experience can really matter. In fact, I don't remember. I don't think this was top gun. It was another one, but there was one track when we were working really, really quickly on a few deadlines and what we accidentally did was exported it with its master on and then mastered it. And Hmm. so we double mastered a track by accident. And that was the one that they kept coming back to being like, this just sounds like big. It just sounds, and I'm like, to me, it sounds so distorted and unprofessional, but okay. Like happy accidents, you know? Yes, dude. So there's, there's, yeah, you, you can't, especially in the movie side of things in my experience you you can't rely on the goodwill or the imagination of of who might be hearing your stuff so the bigger you can make it the more impactful you can make it any trick you can think of to pull off to like grab somebody's ear is worth it more cowbell more cowbell always (laughs) always that's the number one rule start with a large loud cowbell so they pay attention 101 that is the best martin i could talk to you all day i can tell right now but um, <laughs> yeah, just man. you know but uh just to quickly you guys have like strong trailer game just to name a few the girl in the train we talked about that 50 shades darker 50 shades free red sparrow bad times at the el royale the girl in the spider's web fucking bird box and velvet bud saw so that's that's amazing right there but i wanted to talk about your original film scores because mm-hmm. 2014 comes around extraterrestrial comes out and you guys come out swinging with leviathan great song by the way is that you singing thank you that is that's that's me it's me look at this my, guy uh, classic uh, rock and roll vocalist thing yeah. i love it man that's really really good i was uh, i was actually listening i had not uh, i have not seen extraterrestrial actually but i was you know doing a, a thorough study and i was listening to everything that you guys have done and uh, my wife and i just kept coming back to leviathan we just love the way that one sounds but not that everything nice. else isn't fantastic but that one really kind of grabbed us i honestly so. think that's one that uh, you know whether or not sonically it's this close or whatever but leviathan to me is is very much a child of like listening to a lot of at the drive-in. So maybe that's why you kind of uh, <laughs> gravitate towards it. Maybe so. Yeah. But you know, 2015, you got, uh, there's a couple of short stories that come out contingent currency. And mm. then I'm assuming this is where you meet Steven Kostansky for the voice. <laughs> yeah, man. Okay. So meeting Steve as a quick little anecdote here. So we, like I, I was a fan of his stuff before ever getting a chance to work with him. And I remember seeing Manborg in Toronto at the Royal theater with a handful of other people, some of which already in costume at that time and just loving this movie and having the sense of like, man, I don't know who these filmmakers are, but if I ever meet them, I think we can be friends because wow, like this is so absolutely my shit, you know? Yeah. And, uh, 
it actually, you know, a few years passed from that point, whenever that was, um, to Tristan, one of our members, who was looking to adopt a dog. And while adopting a dog and going through that fostering process, was sitting in Trinity Bellwood's dog park, sits next to a guy named Steve Kostansky, oh, <laughs> who's also adopting dogs and fostering Come dogs. Come on. And they just start shooting the shit. And it's like, what do you do? I make music for movies. What do you do? I make movies and I need music is literally oh, how that conversation went. <laughs> so, Stop it. This shit was in know, the stars. But maybe Seriously. that's a little bit of that like manifesting thing or something. Cause the amount of times I thought about wanting to work with Steve uh, leading up that's to that. Cool. So uh, yeah. And you know, that got us in the room on the void, which they had just shot at that time. And they had a few different composers working on different elements. And we were able to, to contribute some music to that early on. Um, and that sort of started our, started our, our friendship. That movie is the best bro. I, nice. because I'm a horror fanatic. And I remember that movie, and Dan was like, you know they did the music. I said, of course they did! Yeah. <laughs> it was a bomb movie. Amazing. I'm glad you dig it, man. Yeah, that, that movie, is, I think, is is very cool, and is definitely a bit of a departure for, for Steve as well, and for the co-director, Jeremy, because, you know, most of the Astron stuff they've done before is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and... and has some humor and some levity to it, whereas The Void is not a funny movie. Like it's it's no. pretty just gory and scary and yep. tonal and dark. And uh, I think it's it's very cool, but it, it was um, yeah, de- definitely I guess a different kind of film for them. And now it leads us to uh, present day. God, there's so much more I want to talk about, but I, I gotta be you know <laughs> careful with your time. Enter Psycho Gorman. Like, mm. let's talk about that shit, please. Yeah, man. Uh, so. I mean, ever since working with Steve on The Void and like he and I, you know, we like a lot of the same movies and stuff and have a similar sense of humor. So we get along well and we stayed friends after that. And I, you know, periodically prod him just being like, what you working on? (laughs) Because I want (laughs) to be a part of it no matter what it is. And he sent me the script for Psycho Gorman a a couple of years ago. And it was right when I was flying from Toronto back to Los Angeles. And I remember reading it on a plane and (laughs) just like biting down on my hand with tears in my eyes. I'm laughing so hard trying not to look like a crazy person because on the page, it is every bit as funny as it, as it came to be on screen. And I just like, my first question was like, how are you possibly shooting this? As you can imagine reading that on the page, especially when it gets, you guys have all seen the movie. Yes. Yep. Yes. So when it gets to like the whole paladins fight in the woods and it's, pages of descriptions of these like insane creatures that are all descending from the sky. And then this battle. And it was like, you know, only Steve could, could pull this off. Yes. And there's something um, about that movie too. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but it, there's something about that movie too, where it seems like, I mean, like, Obviously, you guys are going for like an early 90s tone. Uh, I don't really have to mention it, but I mean, it's very uh, I get a very Power Rangers feel off of that. And, uh, you know, just just music of that era. But the way you guys do it, it doesn't really seem like what's going on on the screen versus what's going on in the music. It's not like a contradiction. It's it's a this movie is meant to be taken seriously, but not taken seriously, if you know what I mean. Like it knows what it wants to be. And it but it, it, it just plays so well into it that this just works perfectly. Yeah, this is something that, and and you know, credit where credits due. This is very much in ev- on every level, like from from Steve's brain, and he really has a very probably one of his greatest strengths. I think is, is he's not just a fan of these sorts of movies, but he really understands on like a, a very like visceral level why they work and and what makes them funny and the ways to subvert expectations that are going to be like both satisfying and surprising. And one of the early conversations we had about music was that 
um, the score can't be funny. Like, I mean, it can be because of the way it's used, but it can't know that it's funny. Like that kind of spoils the joke of the film. If the score feels like it's hamming it up Mm -hmm. or playing to comedy beats or being silly at times, it's like the idea being just like the rest of the film, the way it's executed, I think is basically we got to score this thing. Like we are composers in the early nineties doing our absolute best job to make this a serious, cool movie. Yes. You know? So that's, that was sort of the, the marching orders from the get go. So anything that we did that felt a little too funny or a little too referential was, was torched. And then also the other goalpost on the other side of that was that this also isn't the void. Like this can't be overly serious. The score needs to be fun, but, but, all done in earnest. If that makes sense. So that that's kind of the the sweet spot that Steve was aiming for. And what you did was so difficult because a lot of times people will say, "Okay, we're going to give this a '90s feel," mm-hmm. and it sounds so obvious that that's what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And somehow y'all subverted that expectation and been like, "No, it's just great music that happens to have this '90s feel." I'm like, I wonder, like, how do you do that? Say, I'm going to create this sort of music without obviously creating this sort mm-hmm. of music. I'm like, how are they doing this? Hey, can I yeah, piggyback I mean, off of that as well? I'm sorry, Martin. I wanted to piggyback totally. off of that. Is this music mm-hmm. that you uh, grew up with? Like, did you watch Power Rangers or anything like was that? I don't oh know how God. old you are. So was that like your, your, uh, was that your shit when you were a kid? Absolutely. Probably my most watched film period, like of all time ever would be the first, like the 1990 Ninja Turtles movie. I've watched oh, yeah. that movie so nice. many times. That was like my put it on every weekend kind of movie as a kid. So I think that definitely probably helped inform some of our decisions because like that movie to me isn't a funny, silly kids movie. That's a movie that I still to this day just really like, you know, and there are certain musical moments. You guys are familiar with the film, yeah? Yep. Of course. Oh, yeah. There's certain musical moments, like especially, you know, after the antique store is burning down and they they narrowly escape in the van and they're driving away. And that awesome, like climbing melodic cue comes in as it's pulling back the camera and we see the whole building engulfed in flames and the foot clans retreated. But it's like, wrath is injured and everything's at its lowest point and like i remember even as a kid being like that part would just give me goosebumps you know i'm like oh my god like the the drama of that moment so um i I think that being such a fan of that stuff really helped and i i also think that having somebody like steve um being the sort of guiding light in this whole situation is he has a very specific tastes in terms of uh of musical storytelling which is which is great to work with as a director because he's really able to communicate clearly about like why something's working really well or why something needs to be tweaked and, and in which way. So um, I think it's twofold to answer your question sort of in a long form way there is that our instincts are firmly planted in the 90s. That's when we grew up and those are the films we love. You know, I literally went as a Power Ranger for Halloween multiple years. <laughs> like that's very <laughs> much our our era. But then... I think it's easy as fans of that era to do what you're talking about and to kind of ham it up or make it overly referential mm-hmm. or, or something like that. Um, so I would really give give Steve the credit on that level of having a really good ear for what fits into that sweet spot of like, this sounds cool and modern referential in the right way. It's fun and not too serious, but we're not hamming it up. Like there's, that's the ball we're all trying to keep in the air. That's difficult, dude. It was a challenge. Honestly, the the film overall was was a challenge. As much fun as it was to work on, especially the climax, man, the whole battle, yeah. Pandora and all that stuff, like 
if you pay attention to the music in that last like 10 minutes of the film, there's like major time signature key and genre changes like every 20 seconds, basically, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really uh, very dynamic, which I, I think, I think gives the film some of its fun though. Like I think that's, that's cool. it's my favorite movie of the year. Just, I just want to throw it out there. Wow. Yeah, me too. I, I know that's it's early to call. I know it's early. It's so far. It's my favorite. Okay. I love it. Amazing. All right. Yeah, it absolutely is. I've bought the vinyl already from was it Wax Work Records dot com. Mm-hmm. I I bought a I bought a They Live bust on there too. I love that site. But anyway, Amazing. I bought the signed poster from the director. Um, I'm gonna buy the figures. I love. The, I'm I'm kind of obsessed with this movie. To be quite honest with you, <laughs> amazing it's, man, amazing. <laughs> so, so I just want to throw out there that uh, the music has a lot to do with that. And like when they're playing Crazy Ball, I kept thinking of like this sounds like Power Rangers music. Oh, yeah. oh that is such a direct like love letter to Power Rangers. The, the Crazy Ball theme, absolutely. Yeah, and then like when they're in the backyard and stuff like that, I kept thinking of movies like The Gate, the mm-hmm. way it looked, the way it sounded, and. I, yeah. I love the movie. Very much. I'm I'm glad to hear it, man. And and honestly, that is also how I feel about the movie <laughs> because <laughs> yes. from from the time of reading the script and then seeing this thing come together, like I've been, you know, trying to be a professional composer as well, but also just being such a fan of what Steve creates. Like every time I see a tidbit of this come together, I'm just like sitting there, like vibrating with excitement. <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, a very exciting thing for us for us to be a part of. Yeah, I bought the Hunky Boys Blu-ray, and so I'm... Nice! <laughs> yeah. Brian's buying it all up. Well, I bought the Hunky Boys Blu-ray, and then I also bought the regular Blu-ray, and then there's a lady on Etsy that does Psycho Gorman greeting cards. Send me a link, dude. I, I, I've bought a couple already. I'll send you a link, and they're oh, awesome. It's, please it's, do. It's awesome, yeah. That's so good, man. It sounds like you, you are single-handedly financing... Steve's next film itself. Like. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And thank you for that's that's so cool, man. I I uh I'm glad that there's so many cool things coming out around this. Like the vinyl, I'm really happy with the way it looks. Oh, it's so sick. Whole, did you have any design yeah. uh did you have any like say in the design of that? Because that is a fucking awesome vinyl. I bought that myself. Awesome. Um we technically did have say in it, uh, if we had needed to, which we didn't really, because we did the deal with Waxwork. I had a great conversation with their team. They were excited about the film. We sent them some stills and stuff from the movie, and then they just sent us a first draft, and it pretty much looked like what it turned out to be. And we were just like, unanimously, myself and Steve and the, the band and everything, we're just like, this is perfect. <laughs> like, yeah, no notes. Go ahead, guys. So, yeah, you, you really um, couldn't have gotten any better, man. It's just fantastic. Yeah, they're um, I think Vance Kelly, I think is the name of the artist. And uh, we didn't contact directly somebody that, uh, that Waxwork hired, but I think he did a fantastic job. So, Incre- I'm sorry, Steve, were you going to say something? No, I was just like, incre- I mean, just hearing you talk about how you guys did the whole thing is just, for me, it's, I think it's, it's so, it's such a genius work to be able from, from, listening to how you guys did the music it's such a work of art man seriously thanks man. it Thank is you. you know even when they were fighting and how your cue changed when it goes to like the girl talking <laughs> like your cue has to change very much so yeah. and it's little thing but the thing is you have to keep the idea of yeah the cue changed but we're still in a fight scene mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So we have to keep the drive going and then mute some random instruments. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. is insane to me. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, the climax was the whole fight scene was was very very work intensive. Like that, I would estimate took almost as long as like the whole rest of the film put together. But wow. just because of the sheer variety. I mean, even once you know, PG's uh, spoiler alert for anyone listening who hasn't seen it. But you know, once PG's kind of got his his you know mojo back towards mm-hmm. and. Even at that moment when it's like, okay, now we're into kind of pure fight territory, there's like another three or four like very distinct musical changes and, and basically entirely different cues that come in. So God, it's uh, very, very dense. Uh, you know, as a composer, your job is easy when you have a scene where you're like, we need one cue and it's going to kind of fade in and out, but we're going to ride on this for the whole scene. Like that's a dream <laughs> and uh, definitely not the case with the Not the case. Like- it was hard for me to pay attention because I watched it again. And it was hard for me to pay attention because I kept on thinking about how hard I was like, knowing that I was going to be talking to you. I was like, dude, how did he do this? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I didn't even understand where to start. Yeah. You are, you guys did an incredible job. Even with the, um, the, the, um, drums you used. If you use Mm. the wrong bass drum and the wrong snare, it's not 90s anymore. It's not early. It changes the whole vibe. Man, we went searching, honestly, for, for sample packs for that reason. Exactly. Be like, you know, these snares that we found are, 80s which is not right like 90s snares have a bit of a different sound to them and so yeah that was that was finding the right sounds was very key um paint you guys a a mental picture of like the way this climax is coming together at our house in los angeles where we made all this stuff we had kind of a few project studios set up in various rooms so that we could like the three of us could work simultaneously but you know we're drinking beers it's late at night we've been working you know, nonstop for like a week and Dean is working on the climax of the film. I've got my headphones on and I'm trying to write lyrics for the rap song at the end. And uh, that, hold on. That is the best. Listen, that is the best song. Like since for a theme of a movie since Ghostbusters. And I'm not even just saying that. Oh my God. When dude is like PG for short, I'm like, dude, that's did they get Ice Cube on this track? What is going on? Believe it or not, believe it or not, the PG for short is my voice pitched down. Uh, No way! It is. Come on, PG for short, dude. I was listening to that in the car yesterday, and I just had like this big smile on my face. I was like, oh my god, that it's it's it's, you sound like Ice Cube, dude. Man, I'm 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 gonna have trouble getting out of my studio because my head's not gonna fit through the door after this. You guys are just really pumping me up here well allow uh, me to, let me allow me just to do a little bit more real quick i don't want to take you away from that story but i got to tell you like you know you have your instrumentals on this track but then you you throw in these great like like frig off and mm-hmm. two hands one heart which of course mm-hmm. features roadie walker from protest the fucking hero Hell like, yeah it does Hell come yeah. on man like you guys are just yeah. knocking it out of the park in all different directions dude just this this is a fantastic soundtrack i'm not just blowing smoke up your ass i love this movie i love the soundtrack you guys are killing it Thanks, man. And and yeah, for both of those, as a quick aside, for both of those features, like we toured with Protest back when we played in a band. And so we knew Rhodey and the guys and uh, Danny Dean, who sings Frig Off, is yes. the guy who I used to work with in Victoria, who's an incredible like classic rock vocalist as well. And I had demoed the vocals on both of those songs. But then seeing them in the mix, like, I don't know, I came up listening to, you know, Nine Inch Nails and Tool and stuff. My voice just sounds a little like it doesn't sound like the right era for sure. So that was like an Instagram message to Rody and a Facebook message to Danny at like the 11th hour. And they both one take those songs. Those are literally like through. no notes sent them the instrumentals. They killed it first try and we dropped it. in. So, you know, kudos where kudos is due. Those guys are amazing. 
For sure. I hadn't uh, actually heard of Danny Dean, but I was looking him up on YouTube and the guy does like mm-hmm. this amazing cover of Iron Maiden. I, like yeah. He's just got that voice, dude. He does. And he, he played in bands in the 80s and 90s. And then nowadays, I think he, he makes most of his money that he has like this really successful Aerosmith cover band that yes. plays like those big like classic rock tribute festivals and stuff. And the guy does like a spot on Steven Tyler. He's pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, anyway, back to the, the climax of the film. So we're working away late at night, having some drinks. I've got my headphones on trying to write lyrics to the rap. And then I hear Diener being like, what do you guys think of this? And I take my headphones on and go over. And what he's done is during that crazy ball fight, it's like fast and metal and whatever. And then there's the cutaway to cortex with the joke about, I don't understand sports. And then you mm-hmm. cut back in and it's still fast paced. But then what Diener did uh, him and Tristan had figured that instead of keeping it with that really upbeat punk drum, we're going to do a drum film. We're going to go into like splashy dream theater style, like prog rock <laughs> halftime nice. while keeping the chords the same. And I remember just hearing that and being like, this is so funny. And for some reason works so well here, like hell yeah. So that's, that's the environment. And that those are the kind of moments that, that made this film come together is just a lot of uh, very spontaneous ideas. And if it's making us, excited and laugh then it went in that is beautiful dude um last musical i think it's gonna be the last musical nerdy question who decides (laughs) on the keys what keys you use or is it just random uh you mean like the the actual key of the song yeah like like we're gonna do this in this key but like it just sounds different than this key yeah i mean i won't say that there's like a necessarily a roadmap to start with we usually all kind of write simultaneously and for a lot of stuff, especially the more like pop trailer work and whatever, you'll unless there's a song that you're working on that's in a different key, you'll a lot of times come back to writing in D. It does does tend that's to funny. be kind of uh, the most like full and badass and minor sounding one. And famously, it's the key that Hans Zimmer puts as much as he can in. And you know, his stuff is the reference for big and cool and of course and everything nowadays. So um, we'll we'll default to that, but the nice thing about film music is that key changes are a lot easier than they are in like a rock song or something. You know, you, you change a key in a rock song, unless you're really sneaky, everybody notices and it can be cool. But with film, with the way that cuts can happen and sound effects and things can swell in and out, you can really move through different keys fairly easily. And if anything, solving that problem of like this key and this key, I love these separate parts, but they don't quite go together yet can create some of the more interesting musical moments. Cause I'm like, how do we create a part that actually bridges these and makes it sound natural? To you? So, um, yeah, long, long answer short. We don't really have a plan to begin with. We just communicate a lot throughout the process and sort of go with what feels right. Yeah. You guys are geniuses. That's all. Y'all are geniuses. I'll just, <laughs> I'm just, on account, uh, you know, I can't take all the credit. It's mostly my giant brain. That uh, <laughs> <laughs> goes all the way down to my neck and shoulder. That's probably what All it right. is. <laughs> we know you got the big brain on Brad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Martin, uh, we know your time is super valuable, man. So we don't want to take too much of it, but um, okay, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. And I'm not trying to cut you off by any means, but I, again, we kind of talked mm. about, I know you're busy in the studio and whatnot. Uh, can you quickly maybe talk about what you're doing in the studio or any future projects you guys have coming up? Yeah, well, I I did check on this before we talked, so I am allowed to talk about it in a limited capacity. But what we're working on right now is actually um, the next project, which Steve Kostansky is associated with, too. Oh, yeah. um, A new TV show for Sci-Fi Channel, which is an adaptation of Romero's Day of the Dead. 
So I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm gonna go ahead and go now. <laughs> Jesus. That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh it's been a cool experience so far. I'm sure I I can say virtually nothing about it other than that it's a show about zombies. But um one thing that has been great is that I think a lot of Steve's sensibilities are intact in a lot of ways with this and uh, embracing a relatively limited budget for a TV show, making it, you know, scary and gory and crazy in the right ways, but also having this sense of fun and this sense of uh, sort of throwback um, vibe to it. So it's been, it's been great. It's our, actually our first like proper network TV show that we've worked on. So it's, it's a big deal for us. And, uh, it's been a crash course in terms of the kinds of deadlines associated with TV too are, are wild. So we're, we're pretty much working around the clock on it at the moment. Very, very cool. That's awesome. You deserve all the accolades you get. Every time I see your name, I'm going to be like, Oh, those guys are doing the, yeah, they deserve it because they did the impossible. Uh, They made the top gun trailer. What are we talking about? I know. I know. And it's, you know, we just keep dropping in the top gun trailer over day of the dead and they're just, they're not digging it. So it's it's very confusing, (laughs) very confusing for us. We'll, we'll figure it out. out. Martin, are there any charities, causes, anything like that that you'd like to promote on here? Oh, geez. I should have come more prepared with an answer for that. Not, Oh, no worries. Particularly. I, I do love the idea of giving to charity and nonprofits, but I don't have one that's uh, I'm specifically affiliated with. No. <laughs> you guys need to contact Blitz Berlin on Twitter and then just ask him when he, give him time to think about it. When he gets it, he'll give tell me. you. And then just, totally. you know, just pay, just pay. However, you know, favorite Ninja Turtle though, I got like immediately, obviously. And, and this is the thing. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a controversial take. He's maybe the lamest, but like it's Leonardo for me all the way because oh, in my friends yeah. group, the, th- the four of us were more or less fit into these archetypes where like I would, we, as we would play turtles, of course, when we were like six yeah. and I would be Leo, my friend Elliot would be Raph, my friend Jay would be Donatello and my friend, I guess it was Kevin who would be Mikey or maybe it was Matt who was Mikey. But anyway, Leo, special place in my heart because he was like the leader of the group and the katanas were so dope. So that that's, that's my guy. See, Elliot, me and Elliot would have been friends. You guys, you're a Raph guy. I mean, Dude, Raph's I'm the total, coolest. Objective. Well, I started off I started off being a Michelangelo guy when I was a mm. kid. And as I got older and angstier, I was like, Raph is my dude. I mean, Raph is indisputably <laughs> awesome. Like, you can't, you can't really argue with that. He's for sure dope. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Nice. Well, sir, thank you so much for joining us, man. Uh, please, please give Steve our regards. Like we're just super mm-hmm. fans and just let, you know, let him know. We would love to have him on sometime. I've been trying to contact this guy. I'm not entirely sure where, and I'm not expecting you to do that, but please, please give him our regards. We're just so happy about this movie. And uh, I hope there's a sequel coming. So you can please pass that on too. That'd be fucking awesome. Yeah, absolutely, man. I Dan's so been calling people like through the phone book. Like he's like the Terminator trying to kill John Connor. <laughs> <Steve> <laughs> <Stansky>. <laughs> <laughs> I need your clothes, your boots, and your Steve Kostan. Let's, yeah, I'll absolutely uh, pass it on, guys. And, and thanks for taking the time to chat today. Hey, thanks for taking the time as well. Martin, it was a pleasure. And uh, you're welcome to come back anytime. We'd love to have you again, man. I'd love to talk Maybe. some more music with you. Definitely. Let's talk, uh, talk some old school emo and punk, man, for sure. We can go on forever. Absolutely. All right, Martin, you take care of yourself, man. Enjoy the studio time and uh, be safe in the COVID times and all that. Again, thank you so much for coming on Heroes of Noise. All right, thanks, guys. All right, brother, take care. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen.
episode 146. It's a wrap. I want to thank Martin from Blitz Berlin for joining us. I also want to thank Brian for joining us. And uh, if you guys want to hear the rest of the show, like I said, at the top of this one, go to Patreon, check us out. You should do that anyway. There's there's good stuff there. I promise you. And uh, with that, we're going to just cut it short because, again, there's another show to listen to. We will see you next week if you don't listen, all right? My name is Dan for Steve. We are the Heroes of Noise. Be good to yourselves. Be good to the people around you. Peace. <laughs> talking and then you hear the rest of the show.